Hi, I'm Fiona. And I'm Cam. And you're listening to the Over the Fence podcast by Farmers for Climate Action. This podcast is an opportunity to look over the fence and see what people and communities across rural and regional Australia are doing in the face of climate change. By sharing experience and skills, we can help create even stronger communities and regions. Today, we're talking to Cathy McGowan. Cathy made history when she was elected to federal parliament in 2013 as an independent, where she beat the liberal incumbent, Sophie Mirabella. Before becoming an MP, Cathy had worked for decades in agricultural politics and community development. She also lives on a small farm in the Indigo Valley where she runs Dorper Sheep. Have a listen and don't forget to subscribe to Over the Fence wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, you can get in touch with us on email or over our social media. Anyway, here's our interview with Kathy. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kathy. So how did you first get involved in politics? I got involved in Australian Women in Ag and after about 10 years doing those the, the secretary-treasurer uh, comms jobs, I actually put my hand up to be president. And that was that was an election. I got elected to be president. So that was a good thing. And one of my friends, after a little bit of time, she made the very gentle comment to me. She says, Kathy, um, you know, it's really good having you there as president of Australian Women in Ag. She said, have you ever thought of doing a leadership course? And I said, no, no, I don't, I don't need leadership courses. And she said, well, sometimes, you know, your enthusiasm is, a, is greater than your skills. <laughs> And I had to laugh. I thought, that's a bit of a backhander. And I got thinking about it and I ended up doing a leadership course, which was the Australian Rural Leadership Course. And I just got such acts. I got my mind just went, oh, there's all these skills that you can learn. Um, And not only skills you learn, that there's things that people know that can help you be a much more effective leader. So doing the Australian Rural Leadership Program really helped me, like polish the diamond, I think, if I could be that that bold. I had the skills, but it just really helped me become a much more effective in my leadership skills. So that's when I, I, I really clearly understood it. And I was very happy to be in the politics of agriculture. I didn't, I didn't want to go into party, you know, Canberra politics. So I got involved in the NFF and I was involved in the Victorian Farmers Federation and was really active in lobbying government around issues around agriculture as president of Australian Women in Ag. And I was very, very content to be in politics, but agri-politics. But what was really clear is while that that was a wonderful place to be, the actual decisions about climate, about trade, about, about regional development, about where the money went, were made in Canberra. And we would always be lobbying outside the tent to try and get Canberra to do something. Um, and so that I was reasonably happy about being you know, an advocate for rural and regional Australia. But I always knew that Canberra was really where the power was. So the, the, the answer to your question, the, 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 real, the real light on when light went on for me when someone tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, I myself would never ever have stood to be the federal member for Indi. I, I, it wasn't what I wanted to be. I had a very happy life doing other stuff and I was doing enough community work through my women in ag business. But when I got tapped on the shoulder and when people said, Kathy, we think you could do this and we think we, if you did it, we will do it with you. Now, it took about six months <laughs> of that first off, um, I said, no, no, I don't want to do it, to very to slowly come into the position that, well, there was nobody else who was going to do it. We asked a lot of people if they'd run to be the member and they said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. 
So in a way, it was that question, well, if it's going to be, it is going to be me. And I, I could see I could see that other people thought I could do it. And eventually I said, okay, well, let's give it a go. So that was Christmas 2000 or New Year 2013. And finally in May 2013, I'm, I made a public declaration that I'd stand. So it was a journey. And I think with many people, it's the same. You don't just wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm going to do this. It takes a while and you really need to check it out with your community that your motivation is okay, that the community is going to support you and back you and that it's a worthy endeavour that you're trying to do. So, um, and I think for many, many people in rural and regional Australia, it's the community that does it for us. If the community says, and they tap you on the shoulder and said, yep, we reckon you're the person, we'll get behind you and we'll back you up. Um, and we won't, we'll make sure that if you ever do get attacked, we'll be there for you and we will support you. Um, it makes a big difference. And that was certainly my experience. The community in Northeast Victoria backed me to the hilt and are now backing Helen in exactly the same way. And it doesn't mean they agree with you and it doesn't mean they won't have a, a real good Barney with you if they think you're not doing the right thing, but they've absolutely give you their loyalty. And when push comes to shove, you know they've got your back. Do you have an achievement that you're most proud of from your time in politics? Oh, I do. The most, the, the moment when it, there were two bits of it, but it was when on May the 18th in the Wangaratta Town Hall, when Helen Haynes won that election. Oh, because not only was I, I, I proud that we'd done the handover, a succession plan that had worked, and how important is good succession planning, but that had worked. But more importantly for me was that the community could see that this wasn't just a Kathy McGowan show. The community could see that this was a movement and they wanted it and the majority of people had chosen it. So I was just incredibly proud that I'd been able to do my job and do it, do it to the satisfaction of the community. And the community wanted more of it and they were able to choose Helen. So that was just, just such a good moment. And then before that, it was the final speech in Parliament on April the 4th, 2019, when the community in their bus loads turned up, filled up all the gallery of Parliament House wearing orange. And I walked in to give my maiden speech and there were a whole lot of other of my parliamentary colleagues there whom I'd worked with for six years. And I stood up and I, I'm, I'm, the speaker said the member for Indi and I stood up and I made my opening lines to say, thank you for coming. And then everybody in the, in the gallery stood up and they gave me a standing ovation. And I was crying because like, fancy that, that that's so rarely, if ever before, has happened in parliament where the communities actually pay their own way, got organized, went to parliament and gave their member of parliament a standing ovation. So it was incredibly humbling uh, and it was incredibly moving. And I was just so, so pleased and so proud and so happy and all those emotions were so strong. And it had been, you know, worth the effort because you know, it had been a big job and I had worked at it with a huge amount of diligence. So I was very happy that my community understood that. Kathy, after being in Parliament House for six years, how is it different being in Parliament than the way it's perceived outside? So th that's a really good question. It takes a while to, to understand that Parliament House is a workplace and that there's 5,000 people who work there and they've all got their roles and responsibilities. Some, some people, a small number, 
have got you know MP positions, but there's staffers, there's cleaners, there's security guards, there's a whole lot of people there. So as a workplace, I really loved it. It's a beautiful building and the people who work there were unfailingly kind and generous and supportive. And if ever you needed their help, they gave it to you. Parliament House is a gathering place of some of the best minds in Australia. Now, they might not always be with your members of parliament, but they will be there not only with the uh, staff for the members of parliament, but there's a, a, a really big library. There's something like 60 or 70 people who work in a research library. There's a parliamentary budget office. And then there's all these parliamentary committees that have all got staff. And so what I was able to do was access all this incredible brain power of all the people who work there and get their help to, to get things done. So while I wasn't a member of the government and that never bothered me, I was always happy to support the government when it was appropriate. Um, I was able to get with help, with, with support from the colleagues, but also all these other people who work in parliament, we got an inquiry into the future of rural and regional Australia. There was a committee set up and there was members of parliament involved and we went out and right around Australia, we went and talked to everybody about what does the future of rural and regional Australia look like? Now, I was really disappointed in the end that that inquiry got caught up in the election of 2000, um, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison. Malcolm Turnbull supported the inquiry, Scott Morrison didn't, and you sort of needed uh, the political prime minister's support to get those big recommendations through. But, but it got lost. Helen Haynes is still following through on it. But it just amazed me what you can do if you're, if you're able to use, and you, your mind is that way inclined, that you can see parliament as a working place and there's a huge number of resources there and they're all for the benefit of the country. So I was able to access committees um, and just do a huge amount of really good work without necessarily always needing the government support. Though I was able to get government support also when I needed it. Um, and in particular, in those final days of the 2018, when Malcolm Turnbull left and Scott Morrison came in and Karen Phelps, the crossbench held the balance of power. There was a particularly lovely moment there with some legislation that David Littleproud had introduced on the back of some work that Barnaby Joyce had done as drought envoy. And the legislation was about creating $100 million a year, which was the interest from, from the Futures Fund to invest in drought um, preparedness in rural and regional Australia. And when I first saw the legislation across my desk in October or, to October or November 2018, with my background in agriculture, I looked at that legislation and thought, hmm, that's not very clever. It's been put together in a hurry. No one's really thought about it. And I also thought that the, the legislation had actually been designed to enable somebody to build more dams and um, build more pipes. And, and I thought, well, while that might be useful in drought, what we really need in preparedness is, is education, is programs, a bit like the old days when we had Farm Smart. And we actually need research and we need development. So I was able to go and meet with David Littleproud. I met with the Department of Ag staff um, and got their agreement that I could work with them to develop up a whole lot of amendments which I did, me and my staff, um, we, and we consulted with the NFF, we consulted with the VFF, we consulted with all the farmer groups, and we basically got agreement for 10 major recommendations to really make that legislation better. And then, so once I'd got that, I'd got them and checked with the minister, yeah, that's okay, he could see, he agreed that that was real, it was improvement. 
But then I had to go and make sure that the Labor Party and the, and the Greens would support me. So then went and did the negotiation with uh, Joel Fitzgibbon and Anthony Albanese. Um, he was, the, he was the, the, the person in charge of that area of regional development. And I got their agreement to my uh, amendments. And I had a huge satisfaction of putting, standing up, making a speech, putting the amendment and having the whole of parliament basically agreed to the amendments that I'd put forward. And then the amendments became the major legislation. And a funny thing happened when the major legislation went to, to vote is that Labor actually voted against it at that time. But because the crossbench was supporting it, the government had the numbers to get it through. It's a complicated story and you clearly need to understand meeting procedure and how parliament works. And by the time I'd been there for five years, I was right across, you know, the huge detail of how all that worked, as was my staff. But I was very proud and that legislation um, went through and now um, for all of us farming communities, every year there's going to be $100 million a year available for us to use on um, drought mitigation. And there's a very broad definition of drought which does look linked to climate change. It picks up social, environmental and economic aspects as well. So I was able to get a lot of those changes in the system. So um, I just want to tell you that story in detail because it's going to make a big difference to our communities having access to that money. And I think that's what you can do if you're inside the house. It's very hard to get those sort of changes if you're not in parliament. Becoming an MP, just listening to you talking then, there's so much that you have to learn starting any new job is daunting but what was it like stepping into the house for the first time and how what was that learning curve like well it was huge cam it really was but I, i'd had the advantage back when i did in my 20s i'd had the advantage of working as a researcher for the federal member for indi mr ewan cameron i've done that job for three years so i sort of knew how that worked and in the intervening years i'd done a huge amount of advocacy work so i basically knew how the committee structure worked so while I would say I had a pretty fair understanding of the m mechanisms, what I hadn't understood or appreciated was the importance of relationships. Um, and in any community, isn't that the way it is? So in a rural community, you've got to get on with your neighbours. You might not agree with their politics, but you've got to work together. And in the fire brigade or land care group, it's the same thing. You accept people for who they are, even if you don't um, necessarily agree with their politics. And Parliament was exactly the same. So I had the huge advantage of having worked extensively in rural communities and working with people to get things done, even when we had difference. And Parliament was exactly the same. Like, you did, I, I, I had the most unusual combinations of people work with me to get things done because we found that we both agreed that this needed to happen. So I um, worked with Adam Band on some topics. I worked with uh, Andrew Wilkie from Tasmania on topics, um, certainly worked with the National Party on things, definitely worked with Labor on some issues, and often was working with the government, of course, to get things done. And, and what I found is if you had a really well-argued case and you had your data and you, you knew where the common, common issue was, so you, you paid attention to where you had the shared vision and you didn't worry too much about where you disagreed, you could often get movement on really big issues and we were able to do that. How did your background in agriculture shape how you approached politics, Cathy? Oh, it's fundamentally important because it was agriculture and being a woman in agriculture that I actually learned how agri-politics works and 
how decisions are made. And agri-politics is a tough, oh, let me say, it's a very tough breeding ground, I think, for politics. Um, it's a very good breeding ground as well. And, and the competition for leadership positions in ag is quite fierce. So you really have to um, know what you're about to do. So that's the political side. But I've, I've got a small farm, I've got 100 acres, and I've got a small herd of dorpers. And, and the whole, I, and I live in a rural community. So I live in the Indigo Valley. We've got a fire brigade and a little primary school. There's no actual town here. And you know, we've had bushfires come through 2003, 2006, you know, all the way through to, to 2019. So that whole sense of agriculture being dependent on the climate, and you've got to manage around that. Um, the need for community support um, and contractors and, you know, the whole infrastructure that makes agricultural work. So you, you, you're never one, you're always part of a team. And that was just so useful in politics. Being part of a team and, and being part of a collective across difference. And, and, and you, then you, you're looking for the opportunity always. And same in farming, you're always looking for the opportunity. So my whole mental attitude was, how can we make this work? Who's doing something interesting that I can learn from? And I'm a great learner. You know, I've been in sheep discussion groups and I've been in all the sort of discussion groups. I'm, and I just soak up information and knowledge. And, and, and because I know there's so much knowledge out there and I can see innovation that takes place. And if you adopt it, um, how much easier it makes your life. So, and I, and I took that attitude to Canberra. I was, I was a sponge. I, collected information, I found out, found people who knew things, I built alliances and friendships and relationships and, um, and really, I think, worked the system, but not in a, not in a, in a bad sense. It was just that the Parliament House is just an ideal place for someone who wants to network and wants to use innovation and wants to connect. Um, so yeah, my background, not only farming, but there's one thing other that my friends tell me I, I have an interesting background in the fact that I come from a very large family and uh, I'm in the middle of that family. So the, the politics of managing in a large family, managing up, managing down, managing sideways, managing relatives, managing in-laws, you know, keeping the family together. You know, I am just so blessed by, I've, I've just learned so much about um, being a, a political person and a community person from a family. They kept me grounded, I have to say, too. They, you know, you know you, you're coming home to a family that had opinions about everything you did. So you had to make sure that you had your facts right and you knew what you were doing because they would certainly give you curry if you got it wrong. So you've lived in the Indigo Valley for a lot of your life. What do you, like, what is it that you love most about rural communities? We've all been home, haven't we, for the last three weeks, keeping our, keeping our physical distance. And I... I just so deeply love living in a community where I'm safe because everyone's been connecting up with each other. So that's been fantastic. And people have been going shopping for each other and just tic-tacking and making sure everything's fine. So I, I love community. I just absolutely adore being able to go out for a walk and hear the birds. And I just, I, I, perhaps because of this autumn and it, we had the early rain, but the bird life has just been phenomenal. And just being able to go for a walk and see, and the birds hear me coming and they, you know, chat to each other and you can hear them talking and then you hear the kookaburras go, you know, she's coming down this way. And oh, so I just love the physical environment. And, and I, I just, the absolute glory of the changing seasons has to be so deep in my soul, really, 
that we had a really tough dry summer here. And then in early March, we got 100 mils of rain and overnight the country just went green. And then we got more rain, it's gone green, you know, beautiful green. And that will move through winter, of course, and then the, the cycle continues. And it's Easter time as I'm doing this recording. And I was out, out last night moving my sheep from one paddock to the other. And the moon came up, we we're almost a full moon, and it rose up over the hills, this beautiful, big, golden moon shining light across the whole valley. And I was just full of the sense, if you have to be anywhere in the world while coronavirus is just causing such devastation and my heart just goes out so much to people who are suffering, I just felt so incredibly blessed that I belong in this community, live in this environment, and have had the opportunity to contribute and will continue to contribute to, to making and being part of making Australia the place we want it to be. Um, it's not nearly that yet. We've got a long way to go before we really do have a nation that I think represents the values and the aspirations that I have and I know my community have. And so the call for people who want Australia to be better, to want it to be clearer and, and to actually have a vision for how this nation could be, it won't happen by wishing. <laughs> it will only happen by people stepping up, um, learning the job just like I did, diving into the very hot kitchen and learning how to do things and then do the job to the best of their ability. When they think they've done it, they say, okay, I've done my six years or three years. We've had a succession plan in place. Now it's a chance for somebody else to step up. And I'll, I'll just move back a little bit, but I'll absolutely be there as I am for Helen Haynes, supporting her in every way I can so that she can reach her potential. And I know that, you know, she is such a good politician because she's got the experience of this community behind her um, and we'll continue to support her. So that, that is my sense of what I love about communities when, when, and rural communities is we're a bit like in grade prep. We've got a lot of work to do before we reach our potential. Um, and, I, and I can see in the years ahead, the opportunities are just so great for us to really do the heavy lifting for Australia that we know we can, can do and we should be doing. Australia is a pretty big place. For those listening who don't know much about Northeast Victoria, can you tell them a bit about your community there? I can. Before I was a politician, I had a consultancy business where I worked with women in agriculture, in, and particularly in women in horticulture, I worked with women in sugar, so up in Queensland, did a lot of work. I worked with dairy farmers. I worked with wool groups and I also worked with timber industry groups. So I got to travel around Australia and see the diversity of the different agricultural regions. So I've got a, I've got a pretty good knowledge of how those industry work, industries work, but also how the communities work within them. And I could say about Northeast Victoria, it's gone through an enormous change in my lifetime. It was, it was a, a largely agricultural area back in the 50s, early 60s. It's now moved into amenity agriculture. There's beautiful valleys and the tourism industry is huge. People come to visit, to explore the wineries, to go up to the mountains to go skiing or the rivers to enjoy it. So the agriculture, while still really important, is much smaller scale. The main industries would be uh, beef, there's a little bit of sheep, there's a little bit of dairy, there's quite a bit of wine, and then there's a lot of a smaller niche type agriculture. It's very hilly country, 
where I live, we get something like uh, 30 inches, uh, a thousand, about a thousand mil of rain a year on a good year. Um, something like 60% of the electorate is covered in forests, um, and most of that is state park so or national park. So we've got fertile agricultural valleys. And then if you fly over northeast Victoria, we've still got, and, that, and consequently they burn, um, massive amounts of mountains, great dividing ranges, and then these most beautiful rivers and beautiful little valleys, and then these lovely communities that are nestled in the valleys. But it's not a rich community. Um, there's, there's, there's people are not poor in the sense of don't have money. But when I was a member of parliament, it, it just did surprise me that something like 80% of the population earn under $91,000 a year. So it's not a, it's not a wealthy community in terms of the people who live here. And nor is it really highly educated in terms of higher education. Something like 14% of the whole population have ter tertiary degrees or further TAFE qualifications. And the national average for that is 22% of the population have further post-school education, whereas in Indi, not so many people do. The reason why people don't have access to education, it's just too hard. Um, if you're not living in a major city like Albury-Wodonga or Wangaratta, it's very difficult to get access to university or TAFE for that matter. You have to move. And moving, as we all know, is very expensive and very hard for people to do. And if you're an adult, getting access to further training, again, it's very expensive and very hard. So that's a bit about what Indi is like. What advice would you give to other communities that might want to try and replicate the model of politics that we've seen in Indi? Well, I think it's really hard to replicate what we've done in Indi. There's not really a recipe. What, what happened here was right for the community and for the personalities and the people here. So I can't really recommend that there's a recipe, but what I can do is if, if, you, if you have a vision for your community and you want it to be better, it's possible to, to find a group of people and to work out how to do it. So that grassroots organising is important. But I have to say that um, in the electorate next door, Susanna Sheed, she, as she ran as an, an independent and she didn't have a grassroots support. She was able to find the right moment when there was a break in the politics um, and she got a support and she, people so desperately wanted a change that she got it that way. So there's different models for different communities. But I think the answer is to, to give people hope that if you, if you want to do this, you can. It's, it's not insoluble. Um, there's a system that can be adapted, like our democracy is about people voting. Um, so it's possible to run good candidates and, and to, to run a campaign that gets you elected. So I would be encouraging people to do it, but not to be naive. You can't, be, you can't think that the major parties, whichever one they are, are gonna give up their seats easily. You've actually got to be well organised and, and really clear about a campaign. But it's worth doing. It's really worth pulling a team together, getting your strategies organised, um, and then engaging with your community about what their aspirations are. And people will come on board because they want to, the basic sense, if, if they trust you and they know that you're going to go the distance, they want to participate and they want to engage. And particularly our young people, they're just desperate for something better. They're not getting what they want or deserve. And I just know in Indi, there are just so many young people who, who are just desperate for better governance and an opportunity to participate. So if, if you don't do it for yourself, certainly do it for the next generation. In terms of COVID, it's such a, it's such a weird time. How, how are you approaching it? Oh, I, I am just on one level incredibly stressed for the world and all these people who are sick 
and leaders of nations like Boris Johnson's in hospital today. So what does that mean? So the global impact of this is, is going to just create such disru disruption. And the people who suffer as a result, the people who die, the people who are sick all around the world. So I have that great worry. But I also have the sense of opportunity about when there is disruption, things won't ever be the same again. So how do we want our world to be? And who's doing the thinking now about when we come out of the virus stage, who is, who is doing the thinking and the organisation around, well, how do we get the leadership that I think we really do need at our community level to, 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 to build on the community spirit that I certainly feel in my community, um, the random act of, acts of kindness, the use of technology, the huge changes that are taking place how can we take those and make them work for rural and regional Australia? So who's doing that thinking? And so certainly, you know, I'm having discussions within my own community about it, but um, I, I haven't been hearing those conversations at a national level within agriculture. And I certainly haven't been hearing it in the, um, the regional organisations that represent us, like Regional Development Australia, the RDAs. I haven't been hearing it from them. So I see opportunity and then at the personal level, I just feel incredibly blessed to have this time to be home, to work from home and, and to be able to think and slow down a little bit. It's been, and go for those walks and hear the birds. And I, I, I feel very grateful. And, and many, many of the people I'm talking to are finding the same as we move, as we, as we move through it, but also anxious about, well, how do we get back into our living and our lifestyle um, after, after the, the close down finishes. Cathy, thinking obviously we here at Farmers for Climate Action are very concerned about the need for climate action. What should we be doing at the moment, do you think? Is there an opportunity for us to be thinking about the world post COVID-19? Oh, look, absolutely. But in the immediate, I just heard on the news today, there's been another massive bleaching of the barrier reef. Oh, so, you know, there's immediate action to get onto our politicians and talk about what are they doing. All the politicians' offices are still operating. They've still got staff. At a base level, they need to hear that we're really distressed about that and it's not good and, and call, call on this government to give us a better plan about the reef. But also, I think it really is a time for strategic thinking and planning. In, in my thoughts, getting, and we can do it via the technologies we've got, but really clear idea is what, are the, what is the vision for one year, two years and five years for, for climate action? And once you've got, you've really nutted out what that vision is and you, the big picture vision, but also the, the state vision, the regional vision, the industry vision, and using, we've got really good facilitators in agriculture who could help us do this visioning and really working out what is the future that we want and then coming back from that and saying, okay, well, what do we actually need to put in place now to do it? I think linking into some of the facilitation, and, we, and I know in Northeast Victoria, we've just got great facilitators who could help us do these Zoom meetings to be really having the chance to, to talk to each other about, well, how do we want, how do we want local government? And in my case, Indigo local government to actually work on, it's declared a climate emergency. So what does that mean for the agricultural community in Indigo? And to my knowledge, no one's been talking about it. We don't even have an Indigo Farmers Group, let alone any way to input into the council about what's going on. And 
well, we were due to have elections in Victoria and New South Wales. I know Queensland's had theirs later in the year. I think they're being postponed. So it's a real opportunity for local communities to be running candidates for council with a climate agenda that works to agriculture, that works to rural communities. But there's an enormous amount of work there. How do you actually get a local government climate agenda happening? And then who are the expertise, who are the experts who know how to do that? So I think there's an opportunity for um, Farmers for Climate Action to be having some guest speakers come in, to be facilitating local discussion groups, to be getting your communities organised for this, the local government elections, and then the state elections, and then there's going to be another federal election in 2021, perhaps. So there's a huge amount of work we could be doing over the next three or four months online about getting our strategies in action and at each level. So not only strategies for local government, for state government and federal government, but also within our industry groups. One of the wonderful things about agriculture, we've got representation at all those advisory groups and every single industry has got representative representative. So we need to actually be using, you know, GRDC, Australian Wool Innovation, MLA, um, Dairy Australia, all those groups to be to be coming out really strongly with their climate adaption and climate uh, mitigation policy. And then you've got this money, um, the hundred million a year, which won't go very far in itself, but but certainly you could be accessing some of that, accessing some of that money to be paying people to be doing strategic thinking because if there ever there was a time of climate adaption that's related to drought, it's now. So there's money in the system. We've got time that we can be doing things. We've got the technology. I think it really is about um, st structural leadership and helping Farmers for Climate Action form the groups around their common interest, getting their communities of practice organised, which will be, some will be geography based and some will be industry based. And then really seriously, by the time we get to August, to have a be planning for a national conference of Farmers for Climate Action, where all this work that we've been doing now can actually be presented and agreed to and shared. And then we've set ourselves up for summer and for next year. So, and the, and the future. So I just think it's a real gift for us now, but it takes leadership and it takes organization and it takes a bit of money in the system to pay people to start doing the facilitation um, and to be writing up some of these plans because they're, they really, they need to be professionally and really well done. Can you tell us a bit about what you're working on at the moment and what this 12 months transition from leaving politics has been like for you? So it's just a year to the day really that I made my final speech in parliament and had that wonderful sense of the community coming and thanking me for what I've done. And then the, the really important moment was May the 18th in the Wangaratta well, Town Hall, but Performing Arts Centre, when Helen Haynes, on that Saturday night, we all realised that Helen had won the election. And that enormous sense of pride and humility and gratitude that the, our community had, had, had made a choice for the future and they had bucked the trend of the major parties that weren't giving them good quality policy and they'd chosen that for themselves. So um, I'm in a space now of working out well, what my leadership role is in the future. Um, I'm doing some work within my own local community with young people and working with them to engage in 
local politics uh, around climate, not only climate, but how do, how do we make the world the Australia we want? So that's a, a specific, it's a voluntary project that I'm working on. And I've got some other work with La Trobe University um, and also uh, Mondo Energy um, to, to look at how we build community capacity. So I've, I've got, but it's, it's a quiet time because we've got the social distancing and the world has gone into lockdown. But my, my real sense is how I can now support, encourage and uh, enthuse the people who want to put their hand up for change and how I can share what I've learned with them because I can just see the enormous opportunity that we've got. And if my, if my experience can act as a, an inspiration in any way, shape or form, I want to go out there and say, look, do it. You know, you can, you can survive this and it's worth doing. I think that's a fantastic place to leave it, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much.